From the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives about men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. So I've talked a lot with you guys about why cancel culture is a great reason to become a Patreon supporter, but there's actually another one. The more subscribers I have, the fewer commercials I need. So you guys have probably noticed that thus far, we're largely commercial free here at the Suzanne Venker Show, and I'd like to keep it that way for the time being. But in order to do that, I need listener support. So if you're an avid listener of the Suzanne Venker Show and you like that it's commercial free, please consider becoming a monthly subscriber. As always, there are four very economical levels from which to choose. And depending on which tier you choose, we offer giveaways and bonus episodes and Q&As with me. Just go to SuzanneVenker.com slash podcast and you'll see the red buttons about a quarter of the way down the page. Again, that's SuzanneVenker.com slash podcast. And speaking of Patreon, a big shout out to John. Thank you so much, John, for becoming a Patreon supporter and for being a listener of the Suzanne Banker Show. Really, really appreciate it. And now on with the show. So today we're going to talk about seven rules for life and love for a new generation of women. And the reason this has come up is, well, it, it may sound new as far as my addressing it on the podcast, but it's not, it's not new to what I've been doing behind the scenes. I have a book coming out later this year that is essentially on this same topic of the fact that young people today have been given absolutely horrible advice about life and about love. This has to do with sex, dating, marriage, men, you name it, anything related to that sort of that realm. Professionally, they're, they're kicking it, right? I mean, they have all the help and guidance, young women, that is, that they could possibly need on that front, which is fine. The problem is that we completely left them high and dry on the personal side of life, which at the end of the day is going to have far more effect on their happiness and well-being than anything else they do. This, of course, makes zero sense to somebody like you and me. I'm certain you, because you listen to this show and you think for yourself and you're, you're, you're filled with common sense and you probably think to yourself, you see stuff, especially if you're parents. So this isn't just, this isn't just going out to young people. This is also for parents of young people who are seeing what's going on in the dating world with their kids and just scratching your head and going, what the hell happened? Right. My kids and my friend's kids are now all college age. So they are full, fully embroiled in those, you know, those days of, of love of, you know, wrapping out your life while having relationships and thinking about the future and trying to sort of figure it all out. And we've all been there, but to watch them, is painful. It's painful because they have been taught all the wrong things by the culture. And if their parents didn't offset those messages, and of course many did, um, I did, and you probably know a lot of people who did, and you might, you may have done so yourself, but if you didn't get the other side of it or the truth, I like to call it the truth. Um, then these young people are unbelievably lost. They're just 
they're completely shooting blanks. They have no idea what they're doing. And this is all sort of, I don't know, I want to say separate from, but it's probably part and parcel of the larger issue of dating, the dating world and how it looks today with, with respect to social media and all that. And we're not going to get into that in today's podcast. I know that could actually be an entire podcast of its own. And I will do that at some point. But what I want to focus on here are seven specific rules that I came up with that are, well, first of all, it's it's part of what I have in this book that's coming out later this year, but also the top things that I could come up with that are the opposite of what young women are getting from the culture and possibly many of their parents. Okay. So we're just going to go through them one by one. But before we do that, I'm going to read to you um, an email from a guy named Eddie, a dad named Eddie, who gets to the heart of this whole thing, you know, and and everything I just described. So I'm going to read that first, and then we're going to get to the seven rules. Eddie writes, hi, Suzanne. I just wanted to say how much I'm enjoying your podcast, which I recently discovered. I'm a 59-year-old guy and have been divorced for eight years. I now realize how much our marriage suffered from confusion about our roles and each of our basic natures. Both my, both my ex-wife and I were raised by feminist mothers. I listened to what my mother said and I bought into the feminist mantra, hook, line, and sinker. Our relationship worked well as best friends and equals when we were dating and when we were newly married. But when we moved into the kid stage, the unraveling began quickly. The stress I put myself under by trying to do half the housework, half the childcare, and run my growing business was immense. My wife stopped working when our first of three was born, and while she enjoyed parenting, she felt guilty and increasingly unsatisfied that she was not working. Our immature idealism made our lives much harder. We were trying to be true to our feminist ideals. Thank you again for your great podcast. My daughter is a college student, and I'm going to try to convince her to participate in your coaching for college students. Sincerely, Eddie from New Jersey. So that is, Eddie is not alone. That is, in my opinion, an epidemic in our culture today where people were raised by feminist parents or typically feminist mothers. And then the dad sort of went along with it or stayed out of it either which way, but they weren't helpful. And they got all these horrible messages that essentially led marriages and relationships to fall apart. And nobody is calling these folks to task. Nobody is saying, look, how can we expect young people to get it right when they've been given terrible advice? They've been taught all the wrong things. So what do you expect them to do? How, how can we expect marriage to do well? And how can we expect people to learn how to love someone for life when they've had zero modeling? Because many of them are products of divorce. And then they've gotten this horrible messaging. I just don't understand. It's just not possible. So that's why when I talk about young people and how they got it wrong, I'm really talking about their parents. Um, I, I don't expect them to come away with, with any knowledge um, or guidance. So, so anyway, that's the point of the book that's coming out later this year, which I'm going to be talking a lot about this year on the podcast for sure. And this is sort of a, I guess, beginning, um, 
you know, my first podcast on this, this content. Okay, let's hit it. Seven rules for life and love for a new generation of women. Number one, get one marketable, flexible degree. <laughs> now that may, that might not sound like anything massive, but actually it is because the message that young women, as you know, get from the time they're little is to shoot for the stars and to go expect to have these phenomenal lives where you're like, you know, the president of the United States, or you're going to um, go into space or just like, you know, go as high as you possibly can um, career wise. And that requires staying in school endlessly, right? Not just for the four years of, of college to get an undergrad. And then some people, in fact, the whole thing about college is interesting because there isn't enough emphasis on the fact that your college education should really be a boon for you economically. And that's not what we do. We basically just send people off to college, even when they don't really know what they want to do, many of them, and they end up getting degrees in these, you know, uh, um, they, they end up getting a degree in something they can't utilize and parents don't sort of steer them away from that. Uh, they just they just stay out of it and pay for it, by the way, while they're doing that. Um, so that's silly, um, which is why I stress get one marketable degree, not a degree in women's studies, for example. Um, and then I say get one degree. Notice I say get one marketable, flexible degree. degree. So one, the emphasis being one, meaning don't stay in school endlessly and go back to school for no reason. Now, if you have to get a master's to do something specific, if you have to go to law school, obviously, if you have to become a doctor, yes. But if you don't need it, many, many people stay in school just because they don't know what else to do. And that's a really dumb reason to go to school. It's especially a dumb reason to go into debt, which so many people do. Um, so there's no real practical um, guidance on how to use college ap appropriately, right? To not go into debt to get that degree, to get one degree and get on with it, you know, move on with your life unless you absolutely have to have another one to do what you do. And then to have a degree that's flexible. And what that means is a degree that allows you to move in and out of the workforce as the different seasons, as you go through the different seasons of your life as a woman, because obviously what separates you as a woman from men is the fact that you have babies and men do not, <laughs> and that will never change. And so that has to be uh, accounted for when you're mapping out your life. And that includes deciding what kind of job or career you're going to, to do if, if, yeah. So that's it. Get one marketable, flexible degree. Two, actually, sex is not just sex. Who is telling young people that casual sex is, which of course today is nobody blinks an eye about. We, call, we even have a name for it. We call it hooking up, which can mean anything from, you know, kissing to having sex. It's just so casual. We just don't even delineate between those two. Um, who, whoever thought that this was a good idea 
and that we suggest and that we should suggest that young people or encourage young people to do this, right? This is the leftover from the sexual revolution. That's where it obviously came from. And unless your parents specifically taught you the insanity of that whole um, philosophy towards sex, you're going to go with the flow, right? Because that's what you see people around you doing. So I have a great quote here um, that I've used several times ever since Jordan Peterson, you know, came into the limelight. Um, And I grabbed a hold of this particular quote and wrote it down because it was brilliantly put. He said, people treat sex like it's casual. It's not. Sex is unbelievably complicated. It's dangerous. It involves emotions. It involves pregnancy. It involves illness. It involves betrayal. It reaches right down into the roots of someone. You don't play with something like that casually. Well, you can, but you'll pay for it. This is information that young people need to have, but young women especially, since they are not able, the way men are, to separate sex and emotion quite as easily. I'm not, I'm not an advocate for casual sex for boys and not for girls. Don't get me wrong. We teach our, we've taught our uh, son and daughter the exact same message. I'm just simply pointing out that women have a much harder time with this. And because nobody, nobody told them that, you know, men and men, men and women are equal and women are supposed to have sex the same way men have sex. Um, they, they, they have no idea that when they get into it, they're having this reaction that is, emotional and psychological, and they don't understand it. So the idea that sex is just sex is the biggest lie ever told. And it matters how you view sex as a young person, because every decision you make regarding that is going to affect your relationships Um, your other decisions, your other choices, it's going to stay with you. It's not something that is, is, you know, you can just throw around and think it's not going to matter. It is. Three, don't waste your 20s on men you're hoping will change. (laughs) Oh, my Lordy. Is there a woman that you know who doesn't need this uh, message? (laughs) Uh, myself included when I was in my early 20s. Um, Women are notorious for thinking that they can love someone so hard that they can make things right in the relationship that aren't. You know, it's, it's kind of the beauty of being a woman. You know, you just sort of, you believe that love conquers all somewhere inside of your psyche. I think men are much more practical as a rule. And when they see that something doesn't work, they um, have an easier time extricating themselves in general from relationships. Whereas women will hold on to that romantic idealism and that the, the belief that love will, you know, that love is enough and that will conquer all. And so when they see things in the man that aren't, you know, that, that make maybe that cause concern, they feel like that's okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You know, we're love, we have love, so it'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> that kind of thing. And I learned that one the hard way for sure. So that's another biggie that if they don't 
love the man and the relationship exactly as he and it is at that moment, if you're already thinking about things that you need to make sure change, then you're with the wrong person. That's not how it's supposed to be, which isn't to say that your relationship with any man whom you end up with is gonna, isn't going to change over the course of a lifetime. Of course it will. But that's, that's different. That's not the same thing. I mean, like if you're with that person right then and you have these sort of blinking lights, you know, red flags or whatever. Um, and you think that's okay. I'll, I'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. No, you, you won't. When you got married, things were perfect. You were both in love and life was good. Then somewhere along the line, everything changed. She changed, or maybe he did. Either which way, now your relationship feels, well, hard. I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneVenker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneVenker.com. Number four. This seems... This is really hard because it's so obvious and it was up until recently that it pains me that we have an entire generation of women who have to learn this. And the reason they have to learn this is precisely because of what Eddie said at that email at the beginning. This would be an example. He didn't say that particular thing, but when he talked about being raised by feminist mothers, this is by feminists. When he talks about being raised by feminist parents basically and, and the and the um philosophy and messages that those folks pass on this is an example of what it of what that would be don't marry a man who can't support you now if you're anywhere near my age again i think i've said it before i'm not shy about it i'm 52 i was born in 1968 then you know that up until recently it was considered, uh, it was par for the course for parents to pass on to their daughters, the message, the message that you have to find a, a man who is settled professionally, who can support you. In fact, it, at one point, the men had to come and prove themselves to the father of the woman they wanted to marry so that he felt confident and secure that she, that this, Man, that this gentleman would be able to take care of her. And that went on for a very, very, very long time. So of course we consider that archaic today because that goes hand in hand with having to ask permission to marry your daughter and all of that stuff that feminism wanted to get rid of because it was so horrible and oppressive and all of that. But at the end of the day, oh, and back up, we also want women to, you know, 
make career the center of their life and assume that they're always going to be their own earners. So it, the idea that you should look for a man to support you would be um, considered, you know, uh, uh, like you're trying to undo decades of all this so-called progress. That's crap. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I mean when I say parents are not, if you didn't pass on that message to your daughter, you didn't counteract the messages that your daughter was getting from the culture, which ended up setting her up to fail. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference if women are now um, more common, uh, if, if women are now in the marketplace and are at a rate that they never were before. All of that is true. They're out earning men on college campuses. Obviously, they are, quote unquote, taking care of themselves. But be that as it may, there's still going to come a time in their life for the vast majority of them when they're going to get pregnant. It is going to happen to most of them. So when that time comes, they become vulnerable. Women become vulnerable. And they are going to want to have options. And they're not going to have the option to stay home, even for X amount of time, if they're not marrying, if they're not married to somebody who can support them. So the idea that that's archaic and that you shouldn't tell your daughters that today in 2021 is crap. It may be that women are no longer dropping out of the workforce and never being employed again and raising large families, but they threw out the baby with the bathwater. It's one thing to um, accommodate, make accommodations for the changes that have occurred while at the same time keeping in place those things that are not going to change, such as human nature and the fact that women have babies and men do not. And they're going to have to have someone they can rely on when the time comes. What happens when they don't is that they, you know, when you don't teach them to think about it in advance, then they get themselves into a place down the road when they literally don't have the option. And then what do you think happens to the marriage? I'll, I'll give you one guess. Number five, never live with a man to whom you are not engaged. You all probably know that cohabitation is um, incredibly popular, very trendy, so trendy that nobody even bats an eyelash anymore. And the research on it actually shows that the majority of Americans have no issue with it. But I'm convinced that the reason why they're saying that is because they're looking at it solely through the lens of the sex before marriage thing. So there was a time, of course, when you would never even consider living with your boyfriend or girlfriend prior to marriage. And that was typically speaking due to the fact that we had a universal moral, moral order that said sex before marriage was not a good idea. And so the idea that you would live with someone obviously means you're, you're having sex with them. So we, we didn't condone that as a society. Fast forward, the whole concept of no sex before marriage is largely gone, except for in very religious communities and families. And so it's because it's been so normalized, the next natural step is, well, who cares if, if they live together then, um, because they're having sex anyway. And then you throw in the economics on top of that. Well, it's a lot cheaper to live together than apart. Um, so what's the problem? And I genuinely think 
that they don't know what the problem is. A lot of these folks who were, you know, who, who say that they have no problem with it. I th- again, I think they're saying that because they just mean the sex thing. But there's a whole host of reasons why shacking up, as it used to be called, is a really stupid idea that have nothing to do with sex. Okay. The most obvious, and this is, this is, um, this is not just uh, an observation, but has actually been proven via the data that when you're going to make a decision about who you want to marry and who you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you sure want that decision to be made in the best possible circumstances, right? Ideally, you don't want anything weighing down on you while you're trying to make that decision. Like a lot of us would argue that if you were pregnant, that really can affect your choice um, in a mate, obviously, because it's something's forcing you into to making that decision. Well, similarly, when you're living with someone, what ends up happening is that that objectivity is gone because you've already gotten the ball rolling. You know, you're playing house and you get embroiled in the relationship and end up sliding into marriage rather than making a purposeful, objective decision while living in a separate space. Yes, I want to marry this person. I want to spend my life with this person. You go out and you get a ring. It's like this big decision that's made. But when you've already started that process, it's that much harder to extricate yourself from it. And you can't really see clearly. And you think it's just the most, you know, the next logical thing. And so you slide into it and you never really make that decision. You just sort of do it. And then it isn't till a couple years pass that you're starting to see the reality of that choice. So, so that's, that was, that's one of the biggest problems with cohabitation. Another problem is that men and women tend to make the decision coming from very different places, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, women say they'll, they'll, they'll say the same thing like, Oh yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense financially to have separate places or whatever, but in their minds, they're absolutely hoping that it's going to turn into marriage. They see it as a next step. They believe it is a step on the ladder to marriage. (laughs) But here's the thing. If a guy doesn't know that he wants to marry you, living with him is not going to make him learn that any sooner. By the time, presumably by the time you're living together, you've been together quite some time and there's, they're usually at an impasse. Oh, what to do now? Do we get married or do we break up or do we live together? A guy knows what he wants. If he hasn't made up his mind, he's not going into it thinking that it's a step towards marriage necessarily, but she will. Now it's true. This could be reversed actually in today's world. It actually, there are cases, there are occasions where, you know, the men is, the men are hoping it's going to be, um, that's going to turn into marriage and the woman is holding off. Now I've heard of that a lot, but generally speaking, they're entering the whole thing with, they're not being honest. I guess is what I'm trying to say. They're just, they're, they don't really have a meeting of the minds. They think they do because they're talking about it from a financial perspective, but in reality it's fuzzy. You know, there's no definitive, there's no security to it. And no woman is truly content when there's no security within the relationship. That is a fact. Men, not so much. Number six, don't make financial decisions as though you will always be in the workforce. Okay, so this is a really big pet peeve of mine. 
that no one encourages or helps women understand how to map out their life in such a way that allows them to do what they want to do down the road. Okay. So in other words, at 22, you're not the same person that you are at 32. Your priorities are going to be dramatically different at 32 than they are at 22. So you have to be able to think ahead and determine what it is you want. What do I want my life to look like? Where do I want to be in 10 or 15 years? Make that goal, figure out what that is, have that as a goal, and then figure out how you're going to get there. People are flying by the seat of their pants. They're living day to day, playing catch as catch can financially. And and then they're strapped later on. And when they say, and when they get married and have kids and they say, we have to both work now, they actually do mean that. They really do. But it's not because it's impossible to get by on one income, although that may be the case, you know, in on the coasts, for example. Um, but for most people in the country, that isn't the case. What happens is they made decisions early on on the assumption that you're not going to be out of the workforce because nobody ever encouraged you or told you that you'd be out of the workforce. The assumption is that you're always going to be your own earner your whole life. You're not supposed to quote unquote depend on a man. So nobody thinks about it or plans for it. Here's an example of what I mean. If you're, if you know that you're going to have children and you want to stay home with them and you get married and, and this is assuming you're marrying on the younger side, if you're marrying in your mid thirties, this isn't going to work, but you would both be working. And most people are always both working before the kids come. So you, you might both have an income and you buy a house, let's say, but don't buy that house based on both incomes, buy it based on his income. That's a great example of what happens. And I hear about it all the time. And then they wonder why after the kids come, they can't afford to have one of them stay home for a few years because they made financial decisions poorly. They weren't smart about those financial decisions that would have allowed them to do that. So that's just a huge, huge, and I, you could, you could actually, um, Rewind and go all the way back to college for this for this statement. Don't make financial decisions as though you'll always be in the workforce. If you if your parents can't afford um, to send you to college, right, free and clear, then come up with a way to pay for it, right? If it's not going to be um, studying really hard and getting a or, or doing sports really well and getting a um, scholarship, then maybe it's going to community college or a state school or something that's just a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot more affordable so that you don't wind up going into debt thinking, oh, I have all the time in the world to pay that off. So student debt obviously is a huge thing among millennial marriages, again, because they were steered wrong when it comes to economics and school and the idea that you, everyone needs to go to school and uh, everyone needs to go to college and it's okay to go into debt because you're just going to pay it off because you're going to be rich later and just all this stuff that just completely screwed up the millennial generation all those financial decisions can be made from, from, from the, from the get go all the way up to when you quote unquote settle down so that you can create the life that you want. So this idea that you can't isn't true. It's that we created it and we were taught to create it by the generation that came before us. So it's really important to understand it's not the economy or the government or the system. It's what we were taught and the decisions that I shouldn't say we, cause I'm, I'm not part of this, but it's the decisions that people made based on crappy guidance. That's really all it comes down to.
Okay, and the last and final seventh rule for life and love for a new generation of women. Reject the idea of work-family balance. So if you're a young woman today, you've undoubtedly, um, you know, you've been raised to believe that you're going to be able to, I hate using this phrase, but you're going to be able to have it all and, and, and there's no limits to what you can or should be able to do. And so because there's so much focus on education and career and literally no conversation about getting married and having kids and how that's going to fit into those plans, the assumption is that, oh, you're just going to map out your life with this career at the center and, and, and husbands and babies are going to sort of just sort of fit in around that nicely, right? Um, and then it happens and women are like, what the hell? Like, why didn't anybody tell me this does not work at all? Again, going back to did not properly plan for what that life is going to look like once the kids come along. And how that's going to fit in. Because you're not even supposed to talk about it. Nobody even lets women feel free to talk about what their plans are with respect to marriage and motherhood. You're just not even supposed to talk about it when you're young. But early intervention is key. It is how you map out your life. If you do it well, you will succeed as long as you have the right attitude about it. So for example, the idea that you're going to work full time and year round while popping out a few babies, having a great marriage, have everything go well on the home front, be close with your kids. Your kids have no problems. Um, discipline is no problem. Um, you know, just basically that life is going to run smoothly despite throwing in this full time, heavy duty career that you basically, there's a big difference between a job and a career, by the way, a job, you clock in, you clock out, you, you leave it there. A career is all-consuming. People who pursue careers pay pay a big price to get there and do that. And that is why, historically, women have always chosen careers that are flexible and that can be worked around having a family. That was, again, par for the course. And we threw that out as well. Because the idea is that women are supposed to map out their lives the same way men do. And there's going to be no interruption whatsoever. It's basically just, it's pretending. It's lying and pretending at their expense. Because then the women hit 30, somewhere around there. And they start to think very differently for the first time. And if they haven't been given the information they need, like choosing a career that works well with motherhood, rather than just being focused on a career and hoping that motherhood will just fit in around that, then they're going to be stuck and they're going to have to shift gears. Happens all the time. And you can shift gears. I mean, sometimes it depends on what your, what your career was that you were going toward. And of course, then there's the issue that a lot of people, what they start out doing, they don't really want to do anyway, and they end up choosing something else down the line anyway. But the bottom line is somebody needs to tell them, look, here's what's involved in raising children, especially babies and toddlers. It's all consuming. It is a full-time job in every way and it's taxing and it's exhausting and it requires your attention. And oh, by the way, your babies need you. If you have that information ahead of time, then you can work those other decisions around that. But because no one's willing to say it, they don't know. And 
what's really maddening to me about that is that the people who aren't sharing that the parents that aren't passing this on, it's like they're letting the cultural narrative run their mind because they don't want to talk out against it, which is ultimately going to hurt your own child if you don't give them that information. So you're sort of part of the problem if you don't counterbalance that with correct information. So going back to close this out to Eddie's email, his marriage ended and remember they had three children because of how much confusion that they suffered, they suffered regarding their roles and their natures as men and women, because nobody ever told them all of these things that I just laid out. They went into it with the attitude of equals and expectations according to what society said they were supposed to do. And it's always when the kids come along that it becomes crystal clear. I'll repeat what he said in this email. Our relationship worked well as friends and equals when we were dating and when we were newly married. But when we moved into the kids stage, the unraveling began. This is always the case because once you throw children into the equation, everything about your relationship changes. Everything about your daily life and your new plans for the future will change because it's all filtered through this enormous responsibility that has just been dumped in your lap. So if you haven't planned for that in advance and you have this mindset that it's supposed to go this other way, according to the way the culture told you or your feminist mother or whatever, if it was, if you were anything like Eddie, you're going to be shocked, pissed off, resentful and scared because you don't know what the hell to do now. And in this case, the marriage is over. It ended. That's how much stress it put on them. And it was unnecessary stress. It was stress for the sake of a political agenda. The cultural narrative that women are receiving about all of this stuff, sex, marriage, work, family, men, all of it, is it's a political agenda. And your kids are guinea pigs for that. And it's their lives who are going to be ruined, that are going to be ruined, if you don't have the courage and the awareness to tell them the truth. I don't know where else young people are going to get it, except for this book that I have coming out <laughs> later this year. And like I said, I'm going to be um, talking about it a lot. So it's, this is not going to be a one-time mention. Um, I'm not going to talk about the release date or the title of it yet, but just know that I'll, I'll come back to this again. I hope all of you um, get a copy of this book and pass it on to every young woman you know and if you are a young woman that you buy it and um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to scream it from the top of my lungs, but I'm just me, right? I need a posse of people. I need, I need parents who are willing to do this with me. If you really want to affect change, I will be the leader. I have no problem doing that. But again, I'm one person. It really requires parents to get in there and get their hands dirty and tell their kids, adult kids even, the truth.
And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Fenker Show. Don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook by typing in the Facebook search bar, The Suzanne Fenker Show. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, if you have a question or comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.